Do you feel in some way guilty for the romanticisation of, of country life and farming and shepherding? No, 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 because, because, I mean, of course the connotations have always been made about being shepherd, you know, shepherd of the hills. I mean, it's even got sort of a biblical side to it when it comes around to Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, not at all, because I've always been very conscious of the fact that you m- must show the other side as well. Sure. You know, I always put that across, because if you can imagine... If you swing one way or the other and don't get the balance right, you immediately sort of alienate another type of person who knows the reality. So, say at Countryfile the other day at the, that big event, I want to obviously be talking to people who don't know anything about the countryside, sure. don't know anything about life as it is, the realities, but also I want the people to be coming who do. And if I can embrace both those kind of people and keep both of them guys happy then I think I'm doing the right thing I'm doing a good job because it can be hard yeah. depends where you are you know I've been all over the country this spring talking to people about what we do and it is right to strike that balance you know here here we are on a nice sunny day everything's just perfect but you know what I like the fact you can say it's a nice sunny day and because it's an audio <laughs> no one can check us whether yeah, or not we're yeah, right yeah, on yeah, yeah. it's not this started draining yet no this is good this is good but you know I kind of like to put that side across as well. Sure. Not not particularly the sort of like shock aspect because it, it's it's a real different. Who wants to be that moany farmer? You know, everybody knows him, everybody's heard yeah, him, yeah. they've seen him, they can't stick him. Moan, moan, moan. The weather's not right. This isn't right. So it's 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 all about getting the balance right. That there isn't any glossing over. That you know, anybody who comes expecting perfection and show farm, they're not going to get it because that's not reality, is it? Yeah, and, it and is that not. and that. Do you think that's why people come here to get reality? To get a reality, get... a taste of reality. Yeah, it's not airbrushed. Sure, it is where it is. And that, for whatever me... reason, that must be why people like it. I mean, don't ask me. I just seem to. I just talk about how things are, what we do, how it is. It's gone on from there. One of the interesting things about doing this podcast is having spoken to farmers, shepherds, mm-hmm. yeah. taxidermists, ecologists, conservationists, mm-hmm. uh, artists, musicians, whatever. Yeah. Everyone's working for or inspired by the natural world, mm-hmm. but everyone's agenda is completely different. Mm-hmm. And maybe through the collective mass of interviews, there will be a commonality that comes through. Maybe. But it's, it's fascinating to talk to people who, on the, on the paper, seem to have the same agendas at heart, but their practice couldn't be more at odds to each mm-hmm. other, and sometimes antagonistically so. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a good thing to be almost put in a room with those people mm-hmm. and to find the common elements yeah. that kind of pull you together because that makes a good conversation it does indeed what you're here for. speaking of which <laughs> uh, here we go in the depth of the forest an old oak root the pride of the greenwood there all his branches the ivy her mantle through when the forest boughs were bare oh the oak and the ivy oh the oak and the ivy Hello, I'm David Oakes and welcome to Trees A Crowd. This is a podcast for those of you who, like me, think our natural world is incredible. From shepherds raising lambs to foragers preserving jams, I get to talk with people dedicated to or inspired by our natural world. This week, I'm in the stunningly beautiful Yorkshire Dales. I've come to one of the highest and most exposed farms in Swaledale called Ravenseat, home to Amanda Owen, her husband Clive, their nine children and a collective noun of animals. Amanda is known to many as the Yorkshire Shepherdess, and despite looking after her hillside flock of Swaledale sheep all year round, she has found time to publish three books, appear on three series of ITV's The Dales, and even to make time for nosy podcast makers from the South Coast. Amanda, hello, and welcome to Trees of Crowd. So, the interesting thing about this interview is, I've read your entire life. (laughs) So, I don't... I'm going to start by saying... If you want to know about Amanda, read her book first and then listen to this podcast because mm. you'll get a really good... I don't I won't need to re-go, feel like I need to cover everything <laughs> no. about it. But last night I reread the chapter of your initial approach to, mm-hmm. to Ravensea, yep. which was when you were 21, yep. I think. Mm-hmm. And so it was lovely turning up today and getting to the little bridge that you thought you were going to drive yeah. over, getting to the stream that you eventually had to yep. cross, seeing the, the farm cottage a little further back yep. that was much nicer than the farm you turned up to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you're getting an idea for it. And I mean, you're here today on, well, a, a very different day to, to when I first came here. I mean, for a start, it's light. You've got, you've got bright sunshine. Today, we'd say it's glishy. I don't know if you've ever heard that glishy. word. Glishy. Okay. It's a glishy sort of a day. It's that kind of false sunshine whereby... You actually know that although the sun is shining, rain isn't so far away. Yeah. It's glishy. 
Well, also that massive black cloud that's just over there by the A66. <laughs> yeah, that, that well, I don't know about that, obviously. <laughs> being, being here in my, in my own little sort of isolated little bit of paradise. Oh, it's like good. We're sitting down by a little brook. Yes, it's, it's actually running, as you can see, it's, it's running quite full at the moment because we've had quite a bit of rain, so the, the, water's, the water's quite brown. I don't think there'll be any swimming for us today. It'll be quite... Quite cold. There I was imagine. a nice waterfall a little way back that you mm. could literally see the colour coming off. Yes, the... there's quite there's quite a few. I mean, water is what we're all about. But particularly where we're sitting now, we've got if you can if I don't know if you can see at the moment, but we've got this like overhang mm-hmm. with all the brackens and ferns and the bilberries. Not that there will be many on them because they've been eaten by the children and the birds sure. that they share. But we've it's been it's all been about the birds and the nest. We've had a spotted flycatcher down here. And, oh, lovely! And uh, a ringu's a little bit further down. So this is yeah. a, it's a grouse moor around here, isn't it? It is grouse. I've it's seen quite a few shooting. on the drive over. You will have seen quite a few. Are they shooting at the moment? They will be because uh, they start shooting on the glorious twelve. So I've got one child out beating today, fifty-five pounds oh, okay. a day. They love it. And That's all right. There is do they get to keep it or do they have to put it in the family pot? I'm afraid. Well, they get to keep it. They get to keep it. We all pull together as a family. No, I'm not into that. So if they've, if they've done the work, then they get to keep the money. You have to bear in mind they don't ever spend it because they never go anywhere. Sure. <laughs> so Where is the nearest shop? The nearest shop to here, you'll be Kirby Stephen, about 12 miles away, or over to Hawes, which is probably just a little bit further. Okay. So it's, yeah, we're, we're out in the sticks. We're out in the sticks. How badly You're snowed... also in a knot spot. Your phone won't ring. Anyone well, who good. wants you... I've already put it on flight mode, so I mean, that <laughs> well, was a waste of time. Go. They can't get you. <laughs> um, how stuck do you get like, in the winter when it snows? Mm-hmm. Every winter it snows. Okay. I mean, for, for quite a lot of Britain now, you know, snow's quite a rarity. It's a big thing. You get to see pictures on social media of a few flakes of snow, and everyone's like, whoa, it's snowing. Here you get snow like proper. Sure. You get snow and it blows it about. You get dry snow, you get wet snow. If you can imagine, on this bank, there was actually, I think called a cornice, that actually just snow upon snow that's what it does we live in an exposed high place we seem to have a little microclimate of our very own sure if you can imagine i don't fear snow if it's well forecast i know it's coming we know what to do we know how to work with it snow in winter is to be expected yeah snow in winter is kind of like comforting it's right it's like when the kids are swimming in a river in february i think that's worrying sure you know so so you know you have to be careful what you call the weather. I mean, there has been sort of some really sort of funny weather episodes. Some we've had flooding, we've had hailstones in the middle of summer, mm-hmm. and it's definitely more topsy turvy. Exactly, there are some certainties, and that is that we will spend quite a bit of time snowed in. You've, I mean, I don't want to talk about climate change necessarily, but do you, are you finding that things are shifting? Oh, absolutely. You're noticing it very definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it, it's it's like I was saying before. It's kind of like just weird weather patterns. If you imagine this spring, last week of February, children swimming in the river. Mm-hmm. The year before, we were absolutely happed up with snow. We had a two-day snowstorm whereby it just, I mean, seriously, it was, it was probably as bad as we've seen it in a, in a lot of years. I mean, I think it hit a lot of the country, the east and the east, mm. and uh, it was very, very difficult times. Sure. But that's... That How is many what, years have you been here now? I have been here since... Uh, I met Clive in 1996, so... Over 20 years, mm. a long time, but not a lifetime. But long enough to kind of get get a feel for the place. I think places like this mould you. Uh-huh. I think I came here as a vaguely normal, normal... <laughs> Have you ever been normal? <laughs> normal That's a much bigger question. average kind of a person. But a place like this, where it's so open and so wild, I think it kind of builds on your character. It, it makes you into who you are because you do feel a certain amount of... It's you, not against nature and against the environment and against what it's pushing, but it kind of makes you feel a bit more like, yeah, I can cope with that. I'm not as reliant on other people. So, having read your book, I know that you will sort of go back a bit further eventually. Okay. But you've worked as a farmer and as a shepherd Mm -hmm. in Wiltshire, in Cumbria, in sort of small city farms around Huddersfield yep. kind of area you've sort of done everywhere mm. is there something particular about Swaledale about Ravenseat that makes you want to make this home yeah absolutely I mean and I you're, you're, I... you're allowed to say just Clive that that's the... <laughs> no it's it, the landscape is everything if you can imagine this is what inspired me this is so cheesy to go back in time to James Herriot or Creatures Great and Small those books did you yep we had them as a kid I was going to say, you and about a million other people, I know. But those books, 
I don't know. They really resonated with me. I loved reading. I was always a reader. Did your parents give those books to you intentionally? No, like, no, were they no, just no, around? no. It was just, it was just, it was the fashion at sure. the time. Everybody was into Harriet. It was the books. It was the television program. It, um, and I read them and I loved them. I watched the television series and I thought, you know, this is, I want that life. And the only way I could see to, to, to live that life was to become a vet. Sure. But unfortunately, I wasn't smart enough. So, so it was kind of like a back to the drawing board and it was another book. Sure. So it was a book called Hill Shepherd. Actually, I'll show you because I've, got, I've, I've got, got, I think I've got about three or four copies of it. I've got a copy of it already. You've I've brought got it with copy. me. I've done my research. That book was just, well, if you've looked at it, and maybe you'll know what I mean. It was just the pictures. It was the pictures told the story. Mm-hmm. You just, I it's, don't know. It's a picture book of a year in a farmer's life, yeah. basically, in a shepherd's life. Yeah. There's clues a, in the title no. there wasn't even much of a narrative with it it was just these pictures and they just blew me away because for me living where I lived it was like a different world mm-hmm. I thought well I can't believe that, that that life still exists those places are still there there's a picture of I think it's just called The Judges mm-hmm. and it's three gnarly old <laughs> yeah. shepherds <laughs> yeah. sort of obviously looking at leaning the over the pens fags yep. hanging out their mouth Perfect. it's glorious it sort of takes you back is that was it? And the, and and if you look also, there are, there is a picture of two shepherds. One was Bob Cubby, I know, in the Lake District, in the sheep pens, working with the sheep. Now, it isn't a countryfile picture. It's got mud. Yeah. It's got it's got sheep dogs. What's that? That's a heron. It's a heron. It looks like a young heron because its yeah. legs aren't quite dangly enough. You see, I couldn't have set that up any better, could it? All it should have had was a little trout in its mouth. There you go. Mm. It's been like, yes, uh, what was it, three days ago I was at a farm mm. in South Yorkshire mm. um, and we had a buzzard and a kestrel that flew over just as the microphone started Perfect. recording. That's so. it, it's, it's all going on. If I come back to life, I want to come back as a heron because although they do have a slightly dejected kind of a look, they've got a perfect thigh gap and they're very thin, very slim. <laughs> okay, so it's not the natural world element of it. it, it it's the fact yeah. that if there was a sort of a, an annual uh, most attractive bird of the year competition, they'd be right up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have no idea where we're, what we were talking about there at all because the heron uh, put like, me off. There was a farm in uh, one of the pictures. Yeah, 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 exactly. The picture, the picture. There, again, it was that it was real. Yeah. It was real. They t- they snapped the picture. They didn't say stand there and, uh, and no, look to us. It was it was absolutely fly on the wall. They were there. They took the picture. It feels like those photos you see of National Geographical uh, photographers going off into weird Amazonian tribes mm. yep. and documenting pure living in a yes. world that's never seen another culture. Yep. Society can yep. be new, but this is the removed culture of Yorkshire farming. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. It, it, it almost was kind of random. You would turn the page and you could go back to those photos and. You could look into him again he could see something else because it was all going on you yeah. could and i just thought well that's the answer so you were born in huddersfield mm-hmm. in a relatively yeah. sort of urban upbringing yeah yeah and normal your, suburban upbringing and your dad was obsessed with motorbikes yep. rather than yeah mechanics than with animals yeah mechanics there was no connection whatsoever with the countryside farming i mean the countryside was all there and i always kind of wanted to head outwardly to the outskirts of Huddersfield rather than go to the middle of it. I mean, sure. I tried it, believe me, you know, I tried to do the clubbing and all the rest of it, did a little bit of it, but it was always it was always going the other way, out to Meltham, the moors. Do you think it's useful to have done both, to have a bit of urban living and then a bit of rural 100%. living? 100%. Yeah. Even now, I think that that sets you kind of straight because you don't have this kind of feeling that you've never seen anything else. It gives you a different idea form of appreciation sure you certainly appreciate if you've seen something else you know you're in a good place do the sort of old family farmers look at you as a newbie still or have they sort I of think that will you? probably always be the case but you don't experience any outward animosity mm-hmm. i think it's all to do with how how you go into it whether you go in sort of with your hands held high and say look how do we do this how do we work it? or whether you march in and say look i'm going to shake you guys up and show you how it's done uh-huh. That's not exactly going to uh, enamour you, make you any friends, is it? What do they think of of your multimedia <laughs> I, don't, I, I think they're very supportive of it. I've never made a secret of it. I just see it as my farm diversification. It's not a question of saying, I'm cleverer than you, I'm better than you, I can do it better. In fact, there is nothing like doing what we're doing to make you fall on your face. Sure. And, and in a way... In a topsy-turvy kind of a way, 
I think that's perhaps why I wouldn't say we've succeeded because what does that mean? We haven't succeeded at anything. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what, I disagree fundamentally. <laughs> what I'm saying is that there is something about going out there and trying your best but still losing. There you go. It's put, true, put isn't it? I mean, yeah, well, well, exactly. You know, you you go there, you have your your ideas and dreams, but and 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 you want to make it. Mm-hmm. More often than not. So what you is? Don't. I mean, I guess my my question is, you didn't believe yourself clever enough to become a vet, nope. so you saw no, a book career advisor agreed with that one. <laughs> it was it, that would have been about about nineteen eighty eight. But I've yet to meet a career advisor who didn't have their own personal agenda for the quotas that that school <laughs> needed to hit at the time. You are so right, and I thought things had moved on, but interestingly, it would appear that maybe they haven't. Because I did go and do um, a talk to some people the other day. Uh, it was like a women's group, and there was a, a young girl there mm-hmm. who said to me, you know. I'm at Secretarial College, but I dream of being a farrier. I was like, well, there you so go. why are you at Secretarial College? Well, my careers advisor said that farrier wasn't for women. And I was like, and you see, I'm not a burn your bra kind of a person. I'm not sort of into that misogyny. Or I'm not into that at all. But I was Would like, you define yourself as a feminist? Well, I wouldn't, no. I love men. <laughs> you could be a feminist and love men. <laughs> I love men. I work in a men's world. But I think the minute you start sort of putting... Um, a sign up or a label it immediately kind of sort of makes people take a step back and not perhaps be you know they think you've got some kind of agenda to show them up to and nothing like that is defining yourself as the Yorkshire Shepherdess not <laughs> I, a label I didn't, I didn't even do that okay so where did that come from that was literally uh, is that a publisher somewhere yeah because yeah, okay. yeah, if you I'm just doing my thing I had once again no plan. That seems to be the general theme. People will say, you know, how did you manage this? How did you do this? What was the plan? There wasn't a plan. There never was a plan. There was a vague idea of where I wanted to, to go and what I wanted to be. But how that actually came, came to be a reality, how that came to fruition, is literally, I think... I mean, some people say fate, chance. I don't know. OK, well, t- let's t- take me through it. So mm-hmm. you've got the Hill Shepherd book. Mm-hmm. I've got the Hill Shepherd book. Give me a, a potted history of what happened what happened in a roundabout kind of a way in a roundabout kind of way I went back to my crucifier and said yeah yep yep, you're right no vet I want to be a shepherd so he was like okay flicks to the book and gets to general farm worker general farm worker that's what you are okay so that was it see you later so (laughs) that was it so milk cows for a while Um, basically was trying to get some experience and, and see whether see whether it really was what I wanted and it was a difficult time because of course I felt that I knew what I wanted to be, but I wasn't finding it where I was at. Sure. Yeah, I was working fun, but it wasn't the kind that I pictured. I suppose you might say I had a bit of a view through rose-tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. That book did give you that. You know, it was the standing on a mountaintop, sheep yeah. in a distance, sheepdog, all the rest of it. Whereas the reality for me was I was basically um, milking cows and shifting electric fences. And greasing up combine harvesters, which was all good. It was all setting me off somewhere, but yeah, it was a bit dispiriting. Do you think that's one of the reasons why you've ended up being a hill shepherd? That was that was what I wanted to be. It was rather specific because I mean, shepherd can can cover a lot of things nowadays. You know, there's plenty of people who say, "Oh, shepherd, you just need a quad bike," you know, and square fields, electric fence wire, all the rest of it. There's a lot within that term. The, the photos I loved the other day we were sharing on Twitter were you riding around on horseback. Someone nicked his quad bike. Yeah. but <laughs> Both of them. So it's like back to basics, and I kind of like that. I kind of like that. But I'm, I'm loath to say they did us a favour. Sure. Because on, you know, on, on a sunny, lovely day, it's perfect. But yesterday, it was absolutely piddling it down. And basically, I got the horse in, saddled it up. It rained. I sat on a wet saddle, wet leather, and rode down horse. And a little bit of me kept thinking to myself... Hmm. But that's it, you take the rough with the smooth. Indeed. One of the most interesting chapters of your early farming career was the stint down in Wiltshire in a farm that really wasn't... No, it wasn't. If anything, do you know sometimes you have to have a bad job to appreciate having a good one? Uh It's like we went back to before when you were saying about being somewhere else, giving you a different perspective. I know it sounds so cheesy to say, you know, thanking your lucky stars for being where you are, but have you ever had a terrible acting job? Yes. Yes, I'm not going to ask you any more than that. <laughs> but you will have experienced that. And maybe at some point when you're star of the show and everything's going good, 
you might appreciate being there just that little bit more for having the other one. It helps you more clearly define what it is you want to do. Mm. And I guess this was, this was a farmer who wasn't looking after the sheep in any way. Oh, yeah, it was or, awful. Well, in any way at all, by No, it was counts. awful. Um, it was terrible. You know, there, was a, there, there actually was legal proceedings in order, to, in order to sort it out. It was bad news. It was kind of like farm from hell. But from reading that chapter in the book, it mm. feels very much like that's where you started to learn by doing in the very first Well, you have instance. to learn by doing, that's it. There are some things that you can... I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure with you as well, you'll know. You, there is no substitute for actually doing it. You can read about it, you can read the theories, and that's, that all helps add to it. And in, in my... Within my story, I suppose, it was what got me there. I mean, dare I say, a bit of sort of bluff. Mm-hmm. Saying, yeah, of course I know how to do that. Of course, of course I can do that. But bluff's all you need to get anywhere. You only have to talk. look at our politicians Does it today. Say, yeah, well, I was going to say. I mean, I know you can talk the talk. You have to be able to, to kind of um, do what you say you can do. But you have to kind of, I suppose, exude that enthusiasm and that kind of confidence. Are you still Whether learning? Whether it's there or not. Oh, yeah. You never stop learning. What's your uh, most recent realisation about the reality? Recent realisation that the reason the sheep came in this morning and they were itchy, scratchy, when I pulled a lump of wool out and went inside and looked in the house, they, 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 were, they had lice. So that's, that, that was a realisation. That was not good. You're learning all the time. You learn... If you imagine, you can say, right, well, you can learn all there is to know about sheep. You can know absolutely everything there is to know about sheep. But actually, that is only useful to the degree of looking at sheep because then you have to also know about the lie of the land. Mm-hmm. And the lie of the land is just about as important for keeping your sheep right, keeping your sheep safe and doing a good job as it is to know about that sheep. So then you have to combine the two. So it's all the time, all the time. It's about the place. Some things are written down, some things are not written down. What about kenning your sheep, recognising your sheep? Does it matter? Yeah, it does matter. But to be able to do it, you have to get an eye for it. There was a lovely bit in your book about Clive getting... Uh, to run Ravensea in the first instance, being the only mm. potential uh, inhabitant who actually scouted mm. the entire land and went mm. around the entire... Yeah. That was pure accident. He didn't know that was going to swing it, did he? Sometimes you do something and you have no idea of the ramifications <laughs> and what it's going to lead to. And that was a perfect example of that. So how much land are you overseeing here? 2,000 acres of, of what you would call enclosed. In other words, 2,000 acres of land that's ours and what our sheep run on and then of course we've got common rights grazing out where you've driven basically whereby there are no boundaries whatsoever the sheep uh, run free they're on hoofs they have a homing instinct hoofs one of that's one of my new favorite words it's a good word isn't it it's, define it's pretty, for our listeners it is a place that sheep reside that has no permanent boundaries it has no walls it has no fences it, it is a place that the sheep know to stay on it's their patch it's inbred into them. Do you think they know it because they see their mothers do it? Absolutely. Or do you think it goes darker, deeper, and oh, it's it goes more deeper epigenetic as well? As oh, well, oh absolutely deeper. But if you imagine, it is so important that now we are spearing, we're weaning. We're weaning, we're weaning the lambs now. So the female lambs that we take off, that come off their mothers, it is so critically important that they go back to the hoof where they belong. Because if not, they don't settle. Mm-hmm. Could that be like a person, I suppose, not settling in the right environment? I don't know. It's in them. You can't explain it, but if you, say, have a raven seater and it's over on the Birtle Common, it will ratch, it'll wander, it'll stray, it won't settle mm-hmm. because it's not in the right place. And you think people are like that? Maybe. Maybe they are. But does it, does it have to be born and bred? Or can you find that place? I think people can find it. I mean, I spend most of my life away on tour, mm-hmm. um, for one way or another way, or long since away on TV shoots or whatever. Where's home then? Um, I, I can't answer that, really. I, I feel a sense of affinity with the New Forest, where I sort of yep. grew up. But also, I've got a massive soft spot for Cumbria. Yeah. Um, even just going uh, coming across the A66 <laughs> and Cumbria turning See up on the board. See across onto Blake Cathra. And you go, I'm there. I'm, I'm, I'm coming home. Um, but weirdly, I was just talking to my father the other day and he's he's just been up in London doing a tour of his mm. ancestral places like yeah. Putney and wherever mm. and Wimbledon. Um, and he's always had a trouble saying where's home because he's a vicar and he's mm. moved around yeah. quite a lot. But I don't know if he could tell you the answer either. No. And I certainly envy people who very definitely have a place yeah. where they want to be. See, I wasn't born and bred here, but I feel like this is, uh, this, this is the place. This is my home. Um, How do you feel about having your nine children getting to have this as their home? I, th- I, I hope that they look back on, on their childhood very fondly. 
but I also kind of didn't want to sort of cocoon them in some sort of false utopia whereby this was it, this was the world, this was life. So I think they do get the best of both worlds. I mean, I say Raven's just about ready to head off um, to civilization. York. So. <laughs> hey, as civilization goes, York is a hell of a place to be. There you go. So she will head out, and I think there is a time and a place to head out and go on your adventure. What's she studying? Biomedicine. Okay. She, it was either York or Newcastle. She had offers from both. What's her end goal? I mean, growing up watching you, mm. what has she taken from you, do you think? I should be interviewing her. You should be interviewing <laughs> her, shouldn't you, really? You'd have to ask her that. Oh, she'd make a joke of it. I think independence. In fact, to the point where sometimes I, I would almost upset myself when I could see how independent she was, and, and the other children as well, because being part of a big family, being here, you have to do things for yourself. Yeah, no, nothing's going to be done for you. No, no, no. She has, so, so it's that kind of drive. People have a tendency to say, well, you've got nine children, this will all be like peas in a pod. And believe me, they are a matching set, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but they have such different ideas as to where they want to end up in life and such a different outlook. She is definitely looking forward to, to heading out. And that's not a crime, that's great. But maybe you have to leave somewhere to, again, gain that appreciation for where you were. Do you see in any of the nine a definite farming bug that's never going to shift? I mean, it, obviously it'll be with them one way or the other, but like Yeah, it's... well, it, I, think, I think it'll always be there to some degree, and I'd always encourage that. But the way things are at the moment, I would say don't put all your eggs in one basket. I mean, all the other stuff that I do, if you imagine, it all comes back to being a shepherd. Mm -hmm. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, it could, yeah, there's a very grave danger, it could change, you know, you could see the limelight, the bright lights, and you could want to be gone forever. Mm, that's difficult isn't it because of course the thing that, that this whole thing centres on is what I do and what I am so the minute I don't do that anymore you can't I'm do nothing. the other either exactly so it's all, it's all relative so whether I'm taking a picture of a sheep whether I'm talking about a sheep whether I'm writing about a sheep it's still dependent on the sheep it's still dependent upon here how have you with the writing mm. how, how did that come about did you write before did you no. keep a diary like oh, I got an e in English at GCSE I was rubbish at it, I was a reader okay. I loved reading but I was never ever a writer and, and I mean they say there's a book in everybody but I had no secret hankering it was literally an opportunity we took part in various little pieces on television and what with having the, the footpath coming through the farm coast to coast mm -hmm. there's a constant footfall of people so you've got 16,000 people a year roughly on average coming sure. through the farm so you either look at it and say you know mm, that's a total pest a total pain we don't like that or you say right well this is my diversification let's like, see if we can get a pound out of each and every one of them so and get two. yeah exactly <laughs> and their conversation starts these people coming through have got questions people from all over the world they're asking they want to know they want to know about this farm the sheep what's going on the barns the walls they've got all these questions so within five minutes I would literally make them a cup of tea and go blah blah blah, blah. tell them <laughs> tell them a rough breakdown on what they could see and I kind of it felt kind of nice it felt kind of good because if you rewind 20 years that was me I could translate quickly what it was about what the role of a hill farm was and what was going on and then the people would go away happy and I'd think to myself well there you go I've imparted a tiny little bit of knowledge and these people walking away down the dale can watch Swaledale open out and the barns and the walls and, and the they've got a bit and of context to it and all of a sudden it makes a little bit more sense okay so here's a pound a fictional radio pound <laughs> a fictional radio pound um, what's going on right now what is going on here at Ravenseat what at is moment? going on at this very moment in time where we're just heading well it's just at the start of the autumn we're heading for the harvest of the hills the harvest of the hills is basically harvesting our crop which is not anything arable it is all about the livestock everything that comes off this farm is hardy so it's about the cattle it's about the sheep it's about going into the auction mats in September and October and selling your young stock, selling your old stock, which will go on to thrive in kinder climes. Okay. It is, it is a funny one that people don't realise. People say, how do you make your money? Do you make your money from wool? No, it's literally worthless. We have to shear the sheep purely for the fact that they need shearing. They've been domesticated for thousands of years. The wool needs to come off, so we shear the sheep. But, we, you know, £200 maybe? Sure. For the, for how the, many sheep for the is wool? that from? 
Uh, kilo, roughly about a thousand fleeces. Okay. So it's worth very little. So the you know swings and roundabouts once it was worth a lot maybe it'll come back again who knows it's all about breeding sheep breeding pedigree we're selling on to other farmers it's amazing that wool was something that our nation was renowned for mm. and built itself things have upon. changed things have changed yeah. and we, we you know we we band about how how we'd like to be more environmentally friendly and how we'd like to be more sustainable and wool is the perfect answer to that but unfortunately it doesn't meet the needs of this generation yeah. uh, because we're I mean I've got wool things of course I've got a lovely wool skirt I've got a lovely wool jumper and a pair of wool, wool um, like long socks but unfortunately now they are size of a Yeah. because I wash them too hot with everything else and okay so this is the question that I said I would <laughs> ask which is a very stupid question given the new heat waves and how wet it can be mm-hmm. does wool on a sheep shrink when it's on the sheep no it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't and, and there are also other kind of weird things whereby wool is supposed to be a natural absorber of odour you should never have a smelly sheep but you do yep. you do get smelly sheep so there are various weird and wonderful things within the, within the whole uh, phenomena of wool that I can't quite understand but but there you go we, sh- we shear the sheep we produce the wool you know it is produced from grass it is not man-made it ticks all the boxes but actually we don't like it because it's not fast enough it's not quick enough it's not it's not what we want, so maybe, maybe as technology moves on, maybe, maybe we will find the answer. So to it's that. it's really just the meat market that the sheep for them. Well, no, not directly for us. It it will be a long way down the chain. But I was talking to an American farmer one day and explaining all this, and he said, "Oh, y'all in that American drawl, he said, um, you mean you supply the seed stock?" And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we do. We breed the animals, we breed the sheep, we breed the cows. If you can imagine, with the land that you can see, I mean, everything's looking so verdant and green at the moment, so everything's looking very growing, and it's all looking very lush. Mm -hmm. But, you know, fast forward another month, and it'll be a different story. Very long winter, very short summer, no arable, no crop, nothing to feed anything. Why would we fatten anything? You can't. It just wouldn't make sense. You would have to bring in your feed. It would cost you a fortune. It wouldn't make any sense. Everything here is pasture-fed. Everything lives off the fat of the land. If you can imagine the lambs that are going into the auction ready for sale, they're not going in till Christmas and beyond. Mm-hmm. People make a big thing about eating lamb at Easter. Our lambs haven't even been born then because we have to go with the seasons. But the fact of the matter is, if we rail against nature, it don't work. Mm-hmm. You try it because it's fashionable. You spend a lot of money in failing. Yeah, yeah, you do, because because you can't harness nature. You can't change things. There is a time and a place. And here, Swaledale sheep belong. They've evolved to live here. They thrive here. So, yeah, maybe if we've got a honking great flock of continental Texels, maybe we would make more money when we take them into the auction. What are but the... maybe we'd have to put far more into it and there'd be a hidden cost sure. to producing it. So therefore, you're better off relaxing, chilling out and saying to yourself, right, what belongs here? If it belongs here, when would it lamb? It would lamb there. People say, oh, you know, how can you possibly survive with, with a sheep that only you only have a lambing percentage of you know 140%? In other words, most of our yows will have one lamb and replace itself. Surely you need triplets, quads, more, 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 more. No. Not for this area? No. Not for this area, not for how we do it. We want a lamb outside. If you think about antibiotic resistance and all the things that make the headlines in the papers, like trying to stop the spread of disease and, and, and giving routine antibiotics as a preventative rather than a cure, mm-hmm. that's all about farming too hard and trying to sort of intensify things. We're the opposite. We're extensified. There's less sheep here than there ever has been. The I was down at a farm the other day, mm. down at Rosewood Farm, mm. and they're a cattle farmer now. Yep. They've got a lovely Irish Dexter yep. um, herd there. Mm-hmm. But they tried sheep mm-hmm. in this fl- old floodplain, natural England yeah. owned floodplain, and the problem they had was that bot fly and fly strike yep. Yep. because it was so wet. Yeah, humid, yuck. Yeah, fly strike being a thing where maggots get inside them and it mm. can eat a sheep alive it's in terrible. three days. Horrible, Gross. horrible thing. So the solution is pesticides. Mm-hmm. But the problem with pesticides is you've basically got a big wet sponge yeah. full of stuff yeah. that all the insects die of, yeah. which then kills all the entire bird population, and then diversity is an upward chain and yeah. the whole trophic scale falls apart. Knock-on effect. It's where it leads to... People have ideas. They maybe don't think the idea through. They see the solution as dirt, and they go with that, but they don't see years down the line how mm. things are going to go. 
And we can all be guilty of that, kind of like a knee-jerk sort of reaction of this is, this is how we can solve this. But actually, it doesn't at all in the, in the long term. If you imagine, as you've been driving across these moors, you look across the moors and you see the heather and, you, and you, see, you see the rolling hills and those iron skies and it's all very dramatic and all very Wuthering Heights. Cathy and Heathcliff, you know all about that because you're an actor. Oh, I met Heathcliff out there. He's, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's standing by the gate, like, thumbing for a lift. Yeah, actually, funnily enough, Clive did once um, get offered the part of playing Joseph in that. Andrea, really? Andrea Arnold. Really? Did, Andrea Arnold did Wuthering Heights. You must have seen it. I know uh, you will. I know you went to the cinema to see it in black and white. Yes. It was filmed just down here. They looked uh, okay. at filming it here, but unfortunately, the actors would have had to have walked to the set, and oh, that God just wasn't forbid. on. <laughs> I, I would actively uh, like jump at the chance to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, he was offered the chance, and Miles, being a bit sullen at that point, he was also offered the, the opportunity to be the little boy. What was he called? Uh, Linton, isn't it? Oh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, Are we going to embarrass ourselves here? I'm going to. I'm going to. The kid that hangs the dog from the tree, really, with a really evil kind of a deep. We remember people by what they do, not by what they're called. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've got that. <laughs> seen it, seen in my head. So, so, I don't know how we even got onto that. But basically, if you look out across those moors, you can see drainage ditches. Mm-hmm. You can see these lines. And you might just look and then look away and not think anything of it. But that, basically, after the war, it was all about, it was all about the government saying, hey, we've had, we've, had, you know, we've had the rationing, we've had austerity, we've had people hungry. We need to, this land to work for us. We need to produce food. More, 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 more. Mm. More sheep, more cattle make the land more productive so they drain the moors they put these drainage ditches in because we want it drier we want it to grow more grass we want more sheep thriving on there and then 20, 30, 40 years later people are like well hang on a minute actually moors peat moorland being wet holding the carbon it's really important that shouldn't have been done so it's kind of like going back in time and saying that was a really bad idea but they didn't know any better you can't crib them for it and also what was needed at the time I mean, that's the thing. We are now facing a very different kind of emergency Mm. and we have to respond accordingly. Absolutely. You have to do your best, but it's kind of, it's no... What are you doing here now? Blocking drainage ditches all winter. Okay. There you go. (laughs) Basically making the place wetter. That's what we're doing. We're planting trees in these gills, if you can see along here. We're having quite a bit of success, actually, but it's hard work. Because, um, was it last spring? The spring before, we lost a lot of trees because it was quite a dry spring. You're really up against it. But if you get the right thing, if you're planting the mountain ash and the sort of native trees and plants that can stand the acidic soil and the... And so you, the, are they rowan trees then? Yeah, there's all kinds there's of it. So, I mean, that's, that's just a little amount. If, you, if we walk up onto that top, you'll see that we've actually planted vast swathes of it. It's good. It's good. We want to... If you imagine, if there's one thing that a place like this gives you, it's a feeling of passing of time it's so miserable isn't it well no you're a caretaker of this place yeah you're, exactly this is your you're a custodian you're, you're passing something yeah, yeah, on yeah yeah but it makes you kind of more wise to it you feel the passing of time sure. and you you kind of have this idea that you want to make your mark everyone wants to leave a mark a positive mark but here you want to leave your mark but you also kind of want to be respectful of what's gone before as well and not kind of put a blot on the landscape, a blight on it. We want people to come here. We want people to come and enjoy the surroundings and see it. But we don't necessarily want to open up a caravan site neither. No. Is there anything about your current practice here that makes you deliberately be a slightly archaic? In terms of you're saying you want to acknowledge mm-hmm. the past yeah. and respect the future. Mm-hmm. Are there any... like? Is well, there... I suppose even the horse. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm absolutely embracing that. It's kind of like a step back in time. People will say, well, it's maybe not that practical. We'll have to see see how it all goes when it comes to winter time. The horses, that, they, that is a nice feeling. That is a good feeling. They're sharp and they're smart and they can do things that a quad bike can't. Exactly. I mean, People are always saying, well, what about sheepdogs? Headline in the Times the other day. Death knell of the sheepdog. Bit harsh. <laughs> it was a drone. We're all going to use drones in the future. No, we're not. No, we're not, of course we're not. I mean, for a start, you are kind of like not really thinking about the psychology of a sheep. In other words, the first time a drone comes over, yep, it's going to run. Second time, it's going to think, yeah, right. Third time, it's just not even going to bat an eyelid. Also, it's, again, it's horses for courses. It's all about your situation and where you are. Mm -hmm. If I was to take you out up onto the top, I I had this wild idea that I was going to take you on the other horse. 
I wasn't even sure if you rode, but anyway. Oh, I, I've got my chaps in the car. <laughs> I'll happily go. go for a ride. Um, if I take you out onto the top and you looked out across there, you would absolutely get what I mean when I say that there is no way that you can beat the sheep without the aid of a sheepdog. Mm-hmm. It, it'll beat you every time. You're out there and you're up against it. You need a sheepdog. Douglas Adams said there were certain things that were the perfect tools for jobs. So he, he yeah. hypothesised that the e-book would exist, but he said that the book will not be made redundant because it's basically a shark. Yeah. It is the perfect tool for, the, for that particular job. Mm-hmm. For reading, yep. you need a book. Mm-hmm. For killing things in the sea, you need a shark. <laughs> for herding sheep, you, you need, need a dog. A, you do need a sheepdog. So how many sheepdog have you got on four site at the moment? moment. Four. four at the moment. You see, it's funny, isn't it, how... how certain things, certain props are seen as being with the shepherd, the sheepdog. Every time somebody comes to take a photograph for a newspaper or a magazine or anything, it's always like, hmm, what would you like a picture of? And it's always the same. Hmm, sheepdog? Yeah, fine, very predictable. And shepherd's crook, of course. So we had the Daily Express here and taking a picture. The photographer comes out. He said, um, can we do a picture? So, yeah. Can we have the sheepdog? Yeah. Can we have um, some sheep in the background and can you kind of get them to swarm around you? Well, that might be quite difficult because obviously they are inherently fearful of the sheepdog. That's mm-hmm. how the whole thing works. But we can make it happen, don't worry. Gets into the field. Oh, I don't suppose you've got a stick. Yes, I've got a crook. <laughs> so I get the crook and then he said, I don't suppose you could pick one of those lambs up, could you? So gather the sheep up, put the sheep, uh, put the dog around the sheep, use the crook, catch a lamb, put it under my arm and literally the photographer is standing there with an open mouth. He says... I didn't even realise what you use that stick for. So it's kind of like, you actually thought that was a prop. Mm-hmm. You thought I wanted about just carrying that yeah. because... So no, sheepdog. But you could go even further back to basics and you could say, in order to run the sheepdog, of course, you need the, the whistle. Because, of course, you can shout at your sheepdog and you can say, come by away and that'll do, that'll do, that'll do, louder and louder and louder, more desperate, more desperate, more desperate. But actually, when you get out there, it can't hear you. Sure. So you use a whistle. It carries... On the over the land. Have you ever wanted to compete? No. No. No, because unfortunately there's a lot of arm waving and a bit of cussing as well. And apparently that travels a long way as well. (laughs) (laughs) In the background. (laughs) You can imagine, can't you? So so no, we're not up to that standard. Plus, if you can imagine as well, a sheepdog that runs on a farm is as different as a sheepdog that is running on one man and his dog. They're like chalk and cheese. Mm I mean, the sheepdogs that are running on one minute's dog are brilliant. They're brilliant at what they do, but I, I, I bought one of those. I bought one of those. It cost me a lot of money. I bought a, a, a really great trial dog. And when it got to the river, it stopped and it went, what? And I was trying to tell it to get over to the side of the river, and it was like, <laughs> what? Am I supposed to go through that? They have to, to learn their patch. Sure. And there's a lot as of that. As the sheep do. Exactly, as the sheep do. If you can imagine, our best sheepdog is now probably 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. He knows the lie of the land he knows which way the sheep will run when you take him out to the moor he knows which way the wily old sheep are going to try and get away and he's there before him yeah but unfortunately now he's old so the danger is of course that you stick with him and you never take the young one out who will sometimes basically f*** it up you probably have to edit that up I will just put a sheep noise over it <laughs> yeah, but, yeah but, but that's what happens and it's the same with the children do you let them have a go do you let them do something knowing full well that there is a very real and distinct possibility that they're either going to fail or that you're going to have to help out or do it yourself you know fear of failure so how involved are the children in your everyday very shepherding involved. existence very involved I don't even know where they are at the moment I don't even think you, how many They've have you gone seen very I saw two on a motorbike when I arrived yeah that's one of them and a friend one of those doesn't belong to me okay I think that would that, that somewhere there is a very lapsed parent who has left me in charge of their child <laughs> that's very brave <laughs> and there were two I met inside by the fire yeah so that's three out of the nine so the six that six are unaccounted missing. for yeah one might be might be doing something to do with university okay so it could be doing some work somewhere there was one dressed from head to foot in riding gear chasing a pony this morning um, I don't you know you said you had a pony are. inside yeah it came through the door it does that did it they learnt, yeah, it didn't do anything it just comes in and stands by the fire well it's warmer isn't it <laughs> exactly um, so, so no they, they, they do things they do things it's that thing I was saying about, about independence it can be, they can be so independent, it's almost upsetting, like they don't actually need me, apart from to administer first aid, plasters, yeah. or feed. Would you need to hire more farmhands if you didn't have as many children? Um, oh, that's a difficult question. Was that an incentive to have more children? Because you could <laughs> no. save on labour costs. Reading my own workforce. 
No, that sounds kind of like. See, I've got this picture in mind. It's you with the theatre. You see, I'm now thinking. I'm now thinking like uh, of Oliver. <laughs> You're Fagin. Yeah, yeah. Off you go work. Yes. No. At certain times of the year, everything is so full on that yeah, the children play more of an important part. Hay time. Uh huh. When we're shifting hay bales about and filling the barns, lambing time, it was perfect this spring because Easter fell late. So all the children were off on their holidays and school holidays. At certain times of year, it really is fraught. There is such a lot to do. So maybe we'll have to wait and see what happens in the future. At the moment, I've got two that look like they're very keen on farming, but their ideas change. Who knows? Sure. I know from looking back to my childhood that it's very difficult to even know. 16, 17, 18 what you want to do with the rest of your life there's some people who are very focused and they know mm-hmm. they absolutely know did you know you wanted to be an actor? no I didn't want to be still don't want to be still don't want no. to be what would you like to be? Uh, Hill Shepherd? <laughs> no I don't know I honestly don't know uh, I'll let you know when I work it out the most interesting people don't know do they? don't you think? yeah or they do multiple things that's what I do that's what I do it all focuses on one thing yeah. but why limit yourself? yeah there's um your career should be a, here's a mathematical term, a loci. It's a point from which a movement happens. And you've got a central fulcrum, a pivot, but from there you can go off and do whatever yeah, you need to do. It's a real cliche. Having saying, a home, coming back, yeah. being heafed. Heafed, exactly. It's about, that's, that's, that's quite a good analogy actually, isn't it? What's, there, there are three questions that I ask everybody, which I'll ask in a moment. But mm-hmm. before that, is there a favourite part of the shepherding year? that you look forward to every year oh you see I'm going to I'm supposed to say lambing time aren't I well no I'm you're supposed, not you can say well, I, you yeah, that's what everyone would expect me to say it's like oh the bringing of, of the lambs into the world new life and all that and of course yeah it's exciting but it's also totally not like knackering mm-hmm. it, it wears you out if everything falls into place and the weather is right and I don't mean that it's boiling hot or it's freezing cold it just has to be just right everything has to fall into place it's perfect it is the best time but it also is intensely tiring I like June and because I'm, uh, this is me being totally not lazy. I like June because basically you finish lambing, you've taken all the cows and lambs back to the moor, so they're settled. They're at the happiest when they're out on the moor. They don't mm-hmm. like being in and corralled in these fields. They want to be, they want to be out doing their thing. I'm fine with that. So June, they've all gone back out to the moor, and everything's coming to life here. Absolutely everything. It's kind of going off a bit now, as you can see. It kind of Summer's looks like done. it's kind of done its thing, hasn't it? Yeah. There are still flowers out. I know there's. The, the, I spotted yesterday there were still, still some devil's bit scabious, the purple flowers. The, if you imagine these hay meadows, they go through kind of like um, stages. So they set off with the really, the greenness and all coming back. Then they go onto the marshmallow girls and the yellow and the creeping buttercups. So you've got this sea of yellow. And then you go onto your pinks and your purples. June, it's all starting. Your birds. It's all ground nesting birds here, obviously, because we've hardly got any trees. So you've got curlews, you've got lapwings, you've got oyster catchers you've got plovers black grouse I'm not a bird watcher I'm not Bill Oddie honestly when I came here I didn't know anything about birds or alt but you can't help but kind of get get into it yeah so I wouldn't say if anyone said you're a bird watcher I'd say no I'm a watcher of the birds that I have here but that's it after that well it becomes useful you can you work out migratory patterns you know which point of the season you're in because of the kind of birds you're seeing around you ask the children they know where nests are they will take me to nests all over the place they knew who was nesting up here they you kind of get this sort of affinity you get to sounds really stupid but you actually get to know the birds almost as individuals because every morning you will take a certain path you will go and what's the the sheep have trods Mm -hmm. they're little paths that the sheep take so when you go into the allotments and out to the moor they take certain paths that they know that bypass the boggy bits that go along the, the escarpments and along the cliff sides and they're called sheep trods and you follow them because you know that that is safe ground that is sure. where you can walk so you walk on the trods the sheep walk on the trods the horses walk on the trods and as you're going on the trods you can see you see the nests you see the birds and you, you kind of read them you get to know when they've got the chicks and they're swooping down and trying to get you to keep away it's it's I can't it sounds really kind of arty farty to say but you do get to get to see it people come and they'll say oh I wanted to see some nature and I saw nothing it's like <laughs> uh, well, just because they, they haven't seen a stag or something stick its head sure. up one day I came down here with breakfast and I was coming to the shepherd's hut and as I got to about here I heard like I can't describe the noise it was like a squeaking sort of a noise I thought what's that came here put breakfast down and I walked back along there and there was um, a stoat 
a large wee stone, and basically it had dropped off the edge and it had dropped into the river, and it was like clinging onto a rock. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't, I didn't have my wellies on. I just had something else on my feet. So I thought, oh well, I can't have that. So I went across, and this little tiny, little tiny little stoat thing, and I picked it up, and I had my phone in my pocket. Not that it works, but I use it to take pictures. And, I, and this little stoat, so I picked it up and it was all wet. And I took a picture of it and then it bit me. And then it did something else because it stank. Mm. I don't know, whatever, it probably sprayed me something disgusting. And I thought, oh, you little so-and-so. And I put it back up on bank, just halfway up on bank. And then I delivered breakfast. And I said to the chef, oh, God, there's been absolute drama. You know, this little stoat in River and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Thinking, God, get a life, you know. Came back on there, by which time the mother stoat is going down... And she's got all the little matey boy by the back of his neck. And she picks him up and off away into grass. And it was just like a little something and nothing. It was just like... Yeah, it's a story. It's a story with something happening, you know. There was trauma. Yeah. There was a big deal going on. Our kiddo dropped in river and nearly bit the dust. <laughs> and, you should, and the mother stow, when it came down, you could kind of see it was like looking around. It was like, oh, you... Made me think of me. <laughs> you know, your little so-and-so. Yeah, it was funny. It was, I don't know, and just little things like that. Hey, it's, I mean, I, I, I saw a little stoat on the way up on the drive, just yeah. running into them. I saw a hare, yeah. and I love seeing hares, because you never see them anymore. Do you know what? And I'm not just kidding you. If you when, we, when we go back up to the farm, we see Clive. If you ask him about the day that I had a photographer, I know it sounds so, like, name drop it for... I think it was Country Life or Country Living or something. And we were going up onto the top of the moor, and we were going up the track, and as we were walking up the track... I was like, stop! It was like water shipped down, but with hairs. This would have been maybe June time. But yeah, there's something about them. Their eyes seem to know more than, certainly more yeah. than a rabbit does. But oh, yeah, exactly. They're, they're, they just seem a bit deep. Yeah. There was one hair. This is, this is going back to the knowing certain animals and recognising them. There was one hair that was up um, on the way to, to, to the allotment in the big seeds, and it had one ear. And you used to see him going up there, and he had one in. You'd see him stick his head up, and he just had one lug. But that's that's a story. It's all stories. This <laughs> yeah. is the joy of nature. Yeah. This is why I make this podcast, because it, it's tales. It doesn't matter, does it? Why did he have one ear? Does anybody know why he has one ear? Did his mother chew it off when he was born? You're thinking, why has that hair got one ear? But imagine reading Watership Down, and there's no bigwig, and they're all exactly the same. No! And you're like, no, they have characters. They're all they individuals. They do. They do, and you get to... The other day, I was coming back back from from the tarn. We have we have a couple of tarns on this place, really big, black, inky places where through the winter time you'd look and go, hmm, that looks very deep and foreboding. And if you fell in there, you'd definitely ne- definitely never come out. And then one day you decide you're going to swim in there because you have to, mm-hmm. because you need that kind of you need to kind of conquer that. So we swim in these tarns and they're wonderful. And I like going for a ride there as well. So I was riding back from there, and there's a curlew and it's got a broken wing. Nice. I know. So what do you do? But you know. Yeah. You look and you say, that is, that is nature. It's worse. What's happened to it? Has just something happened to it? Has it hit a phone wire? What's going on? It's got a broken wing and it's walking along. And I'm, I said to Clive, should I? He said, no. Neither. I said, it could, be like, it could be like Kess, but with a curlew. He said, no, it won't. No, it's, that's food for uh, something higher yeah. up the food chain. He said, he said, you know, it'll pick its insects up and then, and then it'll rain on it and it'll get cold and it'll die. But, you know, I just had that picture of the lad from Barnsley with his kestrel and I could have been her with a curlew. You know, like them guys in Mongolia. Have you not got enough animals to look after without I know, but it's, it's, I know. <laughs> I know, but it was just one of those moments where your mind just... Yeah. And you're like, that's it. There's that awful picture doing the round at the moment of a golden eagle with a trap on its feet flying off into the distance and you just go, I'm, I can cope with the curly with a broken wing and I hope yeah, that exactly. maybe, but to know that it was human interference that has ended that's, one of the most That's a bad graceful. thing. Yeah. That is a bad thing. Do you know... We had a pair of golden eagles here in the spring. They stayed for about four days at the very top of what we call the High Foster Scar. And the reason we know it was, number one, we saw them and went, Jesus, what's that big bastard? Yeah. Yeah, because that's, honestly, it's that thing that I'm saying, you know your birds on your own patch and when there's somebody... I saw an osprey. I saw an osprey. I thought I was going mad, but I saw an osprey and... Fortunately, I wasn't the only person who saw an osprey because it was kind of one of the things I just muttered about because I didn't dare say it mm-hmm. in case people thought I was like hallucinating. But it was on its way to the Lake District. A lot of these things are ringed and tagged now so they can actually track them. Those two golden eagles had actually come from Scotland. Okay. Don't know where they went. I don't know anything more about them. Maybe they follow you on Twitter. Maybe that's it. Twitter, <laughs> tweet, tweet. Um, no, they were up there. 
lovely. I wanted them to stay. I bet Jesus, you did. I wanted them to stay. And people say, well, oh my God, they'd eat your lambs. Uh, if you imagine here, you're so close to nature, you're so subject to forces that you can't control. You know, you've talked about the floods and all the rest of it. If you can imagine, people say, well, what kills your sheep? Bogs kill our sheep. Rivers kill our sheep. That's what, that's what kills our sheep. When it rains a lot at lambing time, if you can imagine, the yows go across the river, they leave Sonny Jim at the other side, he tries to follow her, he goes in, and then you come back and your yow's there and it's black, and then you don't know what it is, and then you go downstream and you find its body. That's it. And you're really, really annoyed with it, but what can you do? If you could have some resident golden eagles in sight, would you happily sacrifice a few lambs to yeah. it every year? Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would, because to be dead honest with you, it's rich pickings. Yeah. They will find things. They will, they will do things. It's about, it's about harmony and balance, isn't it? Yeah. It's about harmony and balance. And if you can get the balance just right, you don't want too much of something. I guess you're going to even say humans. Hmm? I, I, you said it. <laughs> you, you said it. Said it. Yeah. Um, Okay, so there are three questions that I ask everyone who comes on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one is, if you could go for a walk anywhere in the world right now, where would it be? Mm, Patagonia. Okay, why? It's one of those places that you don't hear much about. I guess probably because there's not some horrible, terrible war, people starving there. I don't know what's going on. I'm sure there's lots of things going on in Patagonia. I also did see a nice recipe that they were cooking in Patagonia. It was kind of like a spatchcock lamb, which was like that kind of outspread and it was next to a barbecue it looked very tasty cowboys gauchos I think it it sounds like an interesting good sort of a place where people are just getting on with things and, and not murdering each other or fighting and I don't actually think they've got some insane dictatorship sure. but I don't know anything more about it well you'd have to go and find out yeah exactly I think when you when you were a kid I was always uh, absolutely entranced by Egypt sure. Egypt was a thing I saw them pyramids and I wanted to go but Getting older, you've realised that actually the other side of the pyramids is like shopping centres and hotels. Oh, it's, they're so close to Cairo. When you see those pictures of the Great mm. Pyramids just yeah, yeah. right on the edge. Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like Photoshop, but not Photoshop. It's just pointing things at the right angle. Yeah. And that's why here, I think, it's good, because I can point the camera in any direction. 360 degrees yeah. you've got. Um, see, I'm going to go and do a, a talk for Photographic Society. Apparently, a very prestigious Photographic Society. I'm slightly worried about this, because when he talked to me on the phone, I said to him, look, I said, look, Graham... The truth of the matter is, I use autofocus a lot. I don't have any magic jiggery perkery. I said, but what I tend to do is look for a tripod max where somebody else took a picture <laughs> and avoid them like the Black Death. Sure. I said, whichever way everybody else is looking, I turn it around. And if you have landscape, children, animals, all the things that you're not supposed to work with, you will get something. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. Don't say it up. Don't ask people to pose. Just take the picture. Bend down. Get on all fours. See what the children see. See it from a different aspect, a different view. See what you can get. Do you get any time to travel? Like, if you will, no. you ever get to Patagonia? Probably not. Probably not. In in in. I have got to Patagonia. I have got to Patagonia because I did receive an email from some shepherds or a farmer. There was something a little while ago from Patagonia whereby they'd read my book. There so I have kind of gone global, but without going anywhere. That's, that's quite cool, isn't it? The it world's got like, smaller. It sounds like your carbon footprint, therefore, is much better than actually going there in reality. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, who knows where you'll end up and where you'll go. You couldn't ever have envisaged this, could you? I mean, they talk about fate and things meant to be, and I'm not kind of a big believer in that sort of magical sort of real strange. I'm not, I'm not into that. But it is bloody strange. Doesn't I say this, the truth is stranger than fiction? Definitely. Um, question two, therefore, should we colonise the moon? Probably not. I think I think that's probably a really, really bad idea. Maybe maybe it's something you could think about in the long term future, but only if we can manage to iron out and sort out as problems down here. Okay. I just imagine it'd just be one huge, enormous, great fight, and we would pretty much carbon copy what we're doing here. Sort out, sort out, basically what you can sort out here before you start encroaching on other people's territories okay. and lands you know we have it if we if we could get ourselves right here then that would be that would be a hell of a thing it is a starting place okay. isn't it you know it's it's being here can either you can either kind of cut yourself off and kind of cocoon yourself in this this lovely place and it's nice it is but actually we're all connected very much connected and you've got to see that as a good thing yeah 
you've got to see that as a good thing. But I still believe that we're fortunate enough not to be able to switch it on and switch it off, but to have the best of both worlds. This is this is kind of what keeps keeps your head right, headspace. Everybody should be able to have access to this to places where your phone won't work. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think people are far too reliant on those little things. Because yeah, I did. I did uh, amusingly enough, that was what I was talking about at the um, at the Countryfile thing. It was about connectivity. But what they hadn't realised before they invited me to do the O2 Connectivity Rural Conference, they hadn't realised that I didn't have an internet connection because, of course, it was all about rural business. Uh-huh. And embarrassingly, it was called Rural Stars, which made me cringe totally and utterly. But I had to point out that everything that happens here that has gone out globally, digitally, whatever, has been done without from a not spot. There you go. <laughs> so I was saying to them that I have no fear of technology. Technology's great, but it's like anything. If you just don't need it. You don't need it. You haven't got to be totally reliant on it, and you have to use it to your advantage rather than let it control you. Yeah. If, you can, if you can sort of bridge that gap, if you can say, right, well, it probably would have been very much impossible to write a book and do all the things without the internet. I couldn't have been there like Angela Lansbury on a typewriter sending backwards and forwards manuscripts and that that and carry a pigeon. That sure. that would not have happened. But the point of the matter is, I still have to search for that. I still have to look for it. I still have to go get it. I have to think in my mind that is what I want to do. You see? Yeah. They were okay. They embraced this idea. Nod and smile. <laughs> get her off stage. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, final question. If you could bring any species back from extinction, what would it be? The dodo. The dodo. The dodo. Apparently they're like a huge turkey. could feed a huge family. <laughs> they found the fossils of a giant penguin the other day. Really? They think it was going to be about like six foot tall. I'm just thinking pingu, but massive. Terrifying pingu. <laughs> Terrifying pingu. Yeah, but p- penguins are great because it's all very much reliant on the bloke. Sure. He sits on the egg. I'm all for that. that <laughs> <laughs> that's, there's a, I mean... What wouldn't you bring back? There was a oh, there was always a video, wasn't there? Like a, like an old sort of pathé film footage of this this really sad looking half zebra. Oh, half... the thylacine, the Tasmanian tiger. That's it, you see. Yeah. You know anything and everything. I think there's a limit though. We don't want to go to Jurassic Park here, do we? Sure. But you could you could have a farm full of I don't know. Think about the amount of meat you could get out of a Diplodocus. <laughs> yes, but you see, we have to be careful where we're going anyway. Yeah. Because, in the moment, of course, it's all about productivity. It's all about the perfect body, the perfect person, the perfect, the perfect sheep. This is the perfect sheep, we say. This is the perfect sheep. It, 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 it kills out at this ratio. It's got so-and-so back fat. It's great. It's, it's, it, but if we it's, had one Brachiosaurus, we wouldn't need battery farms. No, well, that's <laughs> true, exactly. Just wander about. But the thing is, with, 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 it, it's difficult. When you search for perfection... You actually take away a lot of the whole gene pool. Sure. So, you know, once upon a time, these, ho- these farms were reliant on, on horses. And, I mean, there was no such thing as a tractor. You know, there was Shire horses, there was Clydesdales, there was Percherons, there was Suffolk Punchers. And then one day, a long way down the line, they go, hang on a minute, we've only got 50 Suffolk Punchers left. We haven't got them anymore because nobody needs them. And if we're not careful, the same will happen with these native breeds and the sheep. Because, of course, because when it comes to sheep and you look at the Swaledales they're not the most productive sheep sure. they're not the most brilliant butcher's lamb they're not fashionable they're not if you if you look at, on a headage basis and look at the profit margins and all the rest of it they're not the best lamb but what do you want you have to decide what you want what is it about the Swaledales this is the question right on what, what is it about Swaledale sheep that you particularly love their hardiness their hardiness they belong here they know they belong here it's their place yes you can find them all over as close as you can they can go to pastures green get bigger and fatter but the point is here they're living off the, the where they belong they're on their patch their hoof but obviously this is where they thrive and do the best they are untampered with how do you keep your gene pool from being stuck do you bring in yeah uh, we, but we only elsewhere? buy in males yeah we only okay. buy in males that's it it is a closed flock because being a closed flock has its benefits as well in that you couldn't buy females here and just turf them out because they could just go wherever they want again mm. it's that it's that breeding thing you work with what you've got and you try and better it brilliant wonderful amanda thank you very much for that if people want to know more about you you've got a website which is yorkshire you are on twitter yeah books and 
also Instagram, but I'm pretty rubbish at it. I'm learning how to do it. It's uh, I'm on a bit of a go slow. And the Channel 5 series are Yorkshire Farm. It's more of that to come as well. Wonderful. Thank, Thank you very you. much. Thank indeed. you, David. Lovely meeting you. Many thanks to Amanda and indeed to her whole family for so warm a welcome. For more information on this and my other interviews, please head along to treesacrown.fm and we will be back as usual again in a fortnight's time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, the oak and the